This morning we're going to be uh, looking in the book of Genesis and uh, we'll be looking at a number of chapters there around in the 30s, 35 and on, so I invite you to turn to that. Last week I mentioned that uh, Tom Brady won three Super Bowls. <clears throat> now he's won four. And I, I, I kind of paraphrased a quote last week, but I wanted to pull it out and... Uh, <clears throat> Because I really like this quote, and this is what he actually said right before uh, before winning this fourth one. He, only he and Joe Man Montana now have both won four Super Bowls. He says, "Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me?" I mean, a lot of people would say, "Hey, man, this is what it is. I reach my goal, my dream, my life, but me." I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And he's right. You know, it's interesting that every civilization, do you ever think about why every civilization has some, some thought and plan and, and understanding of afterlife and a world after and and something beyond death, why is that? The scripture says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And inherently, we all know that God has something more. And so we're talking about what that something more is, and we're talking about that story that God is writing. And it is an amazing story. I'm, I'm just... I love to tell the story, <clears throat> and uh, I hope that you will just really get into this story because it, it's an amazing story. This is our, this is our third one. We, we looked at chapter one three weeks ago. God sets the stage for this drama that's coming with this beautiful creation. Then he puts man on center stage with a choice, and man makes a choice that changes everything. And he chooses to rebel against God and sin comes in the world and just like God said it would, death came and catastrophic results of that choice came upon not just man but, but all of creation. And so we saw the first murder between siblings and, and evil just continues until God gets to the point where he's so grieved that he decides to bring, now we see yes, judgment upon sin and he destroys all except one man and his three sons and their wives. Well, that took us to the end of the first chapter of the first scene in the story. Then last week we saw that God has a plan and he's, he's going to bring it about by building a nation. So he picks a man, the most unlikely man you can think of, a couple who are old and couldn't have children. This is something God's going to repeat all through the story picking impossible people, impossible situations, and then doing the impossible through them. And at age 99 for Abraham and 90 for Sarah, they have this miracle baby, Isaac. We see that Isaac is also the one in a, we begin to see now a series of ongoing foreshadowings of something that God is going to do. And we're going to see that throughout the story as we approach the New Testament. And so we see Isaac. 
who is brought up and is called to be sacrificed. And it's interesting that this sacrifice, he's called to a place 50 miles from his home called Mount Moriah. You know, God could have asked him to sacrifice Isaac anywhere, but he calls him to Mount Moriah. Interestingly, the exact same place where another son would be called to be sacrificed. Only that time, as we'll see down the road in the story, there would not be a lamb provided in the thicket. That man would be the very lamb of God. Well, we saw that Isaac had two sons. Jacob got the blessing from his father, and he has 12 boys. This morning, we're going to look at one of those boys. Many of you have heard the story, but we're going to walk through it again. We're going to look at this life of Joseph today. Before we do that, let me just tell you a little story here. <clears throat> there was a man, this, this is true, uh, there was a man who, who had some daughters, and every night he, he would tell them a story, and he, he had, the, he called it Pete, the Adventures of Pete. And so every night, he'd sit down with his daughters, and he'd talk about Pete, who was on this deserted island. And he would make up these stories with these adventures. And, you know, after you do that for about six months, every night, that's, uh, that's over 150 adventures. And pretty soon this dad started running out of, of his imagination, started to grow a little thin. And so one night, what he did was he... He started the story with his daughters, and he said, you know, uh, Pete got up in the middle of the night, and he went out, and he saw this light through the trees. And then he turned to his daughters, and he said, so what do you think happened? Well, his first daughter had this story, and uh, what happened, she, she, she told, and then he looked to his, his other daughter, and said, so what do you think happened? And she told her version, and and the kids were so excited about doing this that he, he started to do this, and he would start the story and then let them fill in the adventure. And so he began to, thi he began to think about this, and he's, you know, he's thinking, he's thinking, I wonder if there's some way I could encapsulate this in like a, a book or something. And he started something called Choose Your Own Adventure. How many of you have heard of Choose Your Own Adventure? Okay. Choose Your Own Adventure is the fourth most popular children's series ever. 200 and from 1979 to 1998, 260 million copies in 38 different languages. And it was entitled Choose Your Own Adventure. Okay, why do I tell you that story? Because as fun as that is, as fun as that is, we don't get to choose our own adventure. And in the story, you could go, you could tell the story and choose one adventure by making a certain choice one night. Next night, you get to come back, you can, you can choose another one. And, and you can choose your own adventure. You know what? When we make decisions in life, we don't, get to, we don't get to go back and do it over, do we? Once you've said those words, once you've made that choice, once you've, you know, we, we can't go back and choose and re-choose our own adventure. We all have choices that we make, but there are a lot of choices that affect our lives that we have no control over. 
Joseph knew all about this. Uh, he was a guy, he, had, he was one of 12 boys, one of Jacob's sons. And you know, you, you would have thought, you would have thought that Jacob would have learned the lesson because, you know, he was the son that was not his dad's favorite. Esau, Esau was his dad's favorite. Esau was the man's man who liked to hunt and fish and do all this, and Jacob was kind of mama's boy. And he knew the pain of, of not being, uh, you know, of having a sibling who was obviously the favorite. And it, you don't have to raise your hand. <coughs> but some of you know what I'm talking about, right? And maybe you were the favorite, and maybe you weren't the favorite, but you know what that feels like, and you know the dynamic that goes on in a family when that's taking place. So here is... Jacob, now he has his own family, he has 12 sons, and, and here's Joseph. You know, it would be like Christmas Eve, your brothers and sisters are opening their presents, one of your brothers opens uh, th there's three cans of Play-Doh, three different colors, that's kind of cool. Your next sibling has a, a kite that he gets, and third sibling opens his package, and it's a, a bat, and uh, then the, the, the youngest sibling opens theirs, and it's a brand new iPad. Okay? You get the feeling that's going through the room right now if you're one of those siblings? That's how Joseph's brothers felt. And they, it hurt. And, and they were very jealous. And kids have a very sensitive radar. Kids can pick up very quickly. Favoritism, can't they? Well, that's not fair. They, they, kids notice. It's just inherent. And Joseph's brothers noticed that he was by far the favorite. It was so bad. The, the text says they, they didn't just not like him, and they, he wasn't just annoying to them. It says they hated his guts. They hated him. It was so bad. They, they just hated him. He was his father's favorite, he was, they felt he was arrogant, and then he has these dreams. And he's out in the field, and there's these stalks of grains, and one of them rises up, and the other 11 all come around and gather around and, and worship him. And then he has another dream where the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down and worship him. Okay, the inference is, is very clear. Joseph has 11 brothers, and you know, if, if you ever have a dream like that, don't share it with your brothers and sisters, okay? We can understand the feelings here, and so we have all this dynamic going on, and so Joseph gets sent out one day. His brothers are all out hurting. He's back home with dad, and he gets sent out. He also has this coat of many colors, which was just another act of favoritism towards Joseph. He gets this special coat that none of his other brothers got. And so he comes out to, uh, to bring some lunch to his brothers, <coughs> and his, his brothers have had it. And they see the opportunity, and so they decide, first of all, they decide, let's just kill him out here and, and get rid of him. And then, of course, you know, there's, there's varying degrees of compassion here amongst the brothers. And then one of them says, well, let's not kill him. Let's, let's throw him in a cistern. 
Basically, what they were saying was, uh, let's throw him in a cistern, a cistern where he'll starve to death, and, and then at least we don't have the memory of having actually killed him ourselves. Well, about this time, there was a, a group of Ishmaelites. Remember the Ishmaelites? Those are the children of Hagar, when Abraham couldn't have a baby, and he, he had a child through Hagar. Ishmael then became uh, <coughs> a, a great nation, which is the roots of the Arab nations today. So interestingly enough, it's the Ishmaelites that now are to is, is the slave traders to which Joseph is sold. So that was his fate. They took his coat of many colors, they put goat's blood on it, they brought it back to his dad, and they said, a wild animal must have consumed Joseph and he's gone. And I'm sure they thought that was the end of the story. Well, we have this series of events then in, in Joseph's life. And so he's taken down to Egypt, and there he's sold uh, to Potiphar as a slave. And we pick up the story, just a, little, a few little segments here I want to read. Genesis 39, 1 through 4. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And notice, mark this little phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. Very important phrase. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of this Egyptian master. And when the master saw that the Lord was with him, there it is again, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. What a, what a transformation from this pit to the head of Potiphar's entire household. So now life is great for Joseph. But things can change pretty quickly in a person's life, and so it was with Joseph. The text tells us, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So, Basically, what they were saying was he was a Hulk. He, he, was, a, he, was, a, he was a strong looking guy. And not only that, he was good looking as well. And he caught the attention of Potiphar's wife, and it says, Day, she said that, that she's trying to get him to lie with her. And it says, Day after day after day, this went on. Till one day, Joseph's in the house, and nobody else is around. Potiphar's wife comes in, she sees him, she comes up to him, she grabs a hold of his clothes, and Joseph uh, does what the scriptures say we ought to do. It says to flee temptation, and so he literally takes off running, leaving his cloak behind, and she, being very humiliated and embarrassed, screams and accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Joseph ends up in prison, which, by the way, <coughs> probably shows us that Potiphar didn't buy his wife's line. 
any slave caught trying to, to sexually assault the master's wife would have normally been executed on the spot. And so Joseph, Potiphar, however, to, to save face, most likely uh, banished him to prison for uh, probably indefinitely. And so that's where Joseph ended up. But Joseph prospers in prison, and he ends up being put in charge again, just like in Potiphar's house. So we see, obviously, this is a man of great integrity, and this is a man of great administrative ability, and the Bible says God was with him. God was with him. Well, while he was in prison, there were a couple guys there, and, and they had dreams, and they told them to Joseph, and God gave Joseph the interpretation. And so he interprets these dreams. These guys get out. One of them was the baker. He gets killed. The other one is the cupbearer to Pharaoh, and he is the one that, after a couple of years, we see that Pharaoh has a dream. Genesis 41, and let me just read a few verses here, beginning with verse uh, 37. Uh, let me tell the dream, and then I'll, I'll come to that text. So he, Pharaoh has this dream. of he, he's, It's kind of an unnerving dream, but he sees these seven really fat cows, and in the dream, there are these seven really skinny, scrawny, lean cows, and they come and they eat the fat cows, which, if you think about it, is probably a pretty grotesque scene. So he has this, this dream, and it's, it's very troublesome to him, and nobody can tell it what it is. And then the cupbearer remembers. He says, you know, there's this guy in prison, uh, and I had a dream, and he told me what the dream was, and it came true. So maybe you ought to try him. So Joseph is brought up, comes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, can you interpret this dream? And Joseph says, no. That's what he said. He said, I can't, but my God can. And God gives him the interpretation, and Joseph tells him what it is and he says there's going to be seven years where things are going to be plentiful and everything's going to be fat and lush and then there's going to be seven lean years of famine. And so if Egypt is going to survive this, they must prepare. And Pharaoh asks Joseph, so what do you, what do you think should happen? And, and Joseph gives him this plan. And so in verse 37 it says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. All of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, Joseph, you will be second in command of all Egypt. So, from the prison to second command in Egypt. Just like that. It's an amazing story. And it's, it's an amazing turn of events. However, the story gets even more intriguing. And we see that this story is a, far more than, than Joseph. And, and just his life. 
Remember what God decided to do last week? He decided to build a nation. And so this is all part of that. The story all connects. And so these events happen to orchestrate a situation where now it is the seven good years have come. They're now into the years of famine. And the people, the nation that God is building is in Cana, and they are just a few weeks away from starvation. And so the brothers of Joseph come up to Egypt to buy food. And they come, and, and Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. And so he puts them through a, a series of, of tests and different things that go on. If we see Genesis 43, verses 26 through 28. We get a little flavor for this. It says, when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. Remember the dream? Of those, those she's coming and, and bowing before him, the sun, moon, and the stars bowing before him, and now we read, they came into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. Verse 27, he asked them how they were, and they said, how is your aged father who you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down low. In other words, they got on their faces to pay him honor. So the dream comes true. His brothers are, are there bowing before him, and they don't even know it. Well, there's a variety of tests, and we don't have time to go through it all, but a variety of things that Joseph here does with his brothers to, to kind of see where they're at and to see you know, what's, what's going on. And, and he eventually gets to the place where he cannot contain his emotions anymore. And he, he, he reveals himself. He reveals his identity to his brothers. Can you imagine that moment of those brothers being there and, and Joseph revealing his identity. This is another one of those very emotional, powerful moments in the story. And uh, I, <clears throat> I want, I'm going to pull in a, a little segment here, just a, uh, a Bible series reenactment of this moment. Okay, powerful moment. God reunites the family. They all come up to Egypt. And it's there that God continues, as he promised, as he said he would, continues to build a nation through which he will rescue his people. It would be 400 years that they would live and grow to the point, as we'll see next week, that they actually are so prolific and God blesses them in such a way that they become a threat to Pharaoh himself. That's where we'll pick up the story next week. Well, if we, if we look at this story this morning in a, as a kind of a general flyover view, what we see is God is using Joseph here and the events in his life to save the nation, to continue writing the story, and to set the stage for another yet impossible situation where God is going to part seas and bring water out of rocks and bring 
bread down from heaven. And so the story's going to continue. Well, this morning, I, I, I want to take just a few moments and, and look at our story. We see here the lower story of what happened in Joseph's life and with their family. We, we're, we're seeing the upper story that God is building this nation. How, how does that intersect your story? And, and how does that intersect my story? Just a few things that you can think about this week. Three things. Number one, the first is you don't get to choose your own story. There are some things that you can choose in your life, but you know what? There are a lot of things you don't get to choose. You don't get to choose the family you're born in. You don't get to choose the people that speak into your life. You don't get to choose the the hereditary environmental issues that impact your health. You don't get to choose the boss that fired you or, or hired you. You don't get to choose the guy who fell asleep in the car and went over the line and, and killed somebody that you love. Contrary to what our deist friends may say, God is very involved in the life and affairs of people. What's happening with Putin today, what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening with Israel and ISIS and, and all of those characters is part of the story that God is writing. Joseph didn't save Egypt from famine. God saved Egypt from famine. He happened to use Joseph as part of that story. We don't get to choose our adventure. It's God's story. It's not our story. And so the question I ask you, first of all, is, this is a very important question. Have you given your life over to be God's story? Are you still trying to write your own story? You know, this is how you deal with bitterness. You give up your story. We get bitter because... God isn't writing our story. And, and the essence of humility is giving your life up to God's story in your life. Even the hard things, even, even the failures in your life, you can become bitter about them or you can allow God to write them into his story. This is how you deal with the hard things in life. Here's the second thing. Sometimes life is the pits, right? We all have pits. Everybody ends up in a pit, a place where there's just walls around you. The only place you can see any light is to look up. We see Joseph. He was hated by his siblings. He was in slavery for many years. He was falsely accused. He spent time in prison. But we see here, Joseph doing something very, very important in those pits in his life. He bloomed in those pits. He bloomed where he was planted. And so he took whatever situation he was in, no matter how unfair, no matter how hard, no matter how disappointing, and he remained faithful to God in those situations. You know what our tendency is? When we get disappointed, it's easy to justify our disobedience. So you're bummed out, you're disappointed. What do you do? You go out and watch a movie you shouldn't watch. You call up somebody you shouldn't call up. You take something 
that you shouldn't take. And Joseph, in those situations, remained faithful, and God blessed him through those situations. We see that even in those situations, God was working, bringing Ishmael, the slave traders, bringing the cupbearer into his time in prison. Pits are normal, and we all have our pits. We all have our pit. The pit of illness, the pit of unemployment, the pit of divorce, the pit of being fired, being abused, being betrayed, being abandoned. We all have those pits. And you don't get to choose. You always, often don't get to choose your pits. But you do get to choose your promises. You do get to choose your promises. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Here's one of them see it up on the screen. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise that goes into the pit. That, that doesn't stay off somewhere when you end up in the pit. This is a promise. Jesus, God, your Savior, says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's really number three here. Another point you can think about. God is with his people. That is the promise. God is with his people. This is the key thing that was said about Joseph. It's repeated time and time again, several times. Genesis 39.2 is just one of, of several places, and here it is again. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. That's why he prospered. prospered. You know something? The Lord is with you. If, if by faith you have come to him, this promise is as true for you as it was for Joseph. This is a promise God has made to you. I love this quote from Fernando Sabino. Everything will be okay in the end. So if it's not okay, it's not the end. Everything, not something, this is true. Everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. All right, I guess we don't have any audio on that. Unless you're good at lip reading. We'll show that again. I'll pull that up another Sunday. I'd, I'd like us to pray this morning as we conclude. And uh, I want to pray for each one of us here today. Father, I... We see in the life of Joseph a man who trusted you through the ups and downs of his life and who remained faithful to you in the ups and downs of his life. Lord, you are a redeemer. That means you take situations that are impossible and difficult and seem destructive and you redeem them. You, you, you buy them back, you purchase them, and you... You bring good out of them. And we saw you doing this in the life of Joseph, and you do this in our lives. And so I, I pray this morning that we, would, that we would understand this. Father, I also pray for, for anyone here today who has yet to be redeemed, purchased through the blood of Christ, that they would just open up their hearts to Christ today and... Uh, that they would open themselves up to the love 
that they would open themselves up to all the promises that become true for your people, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. You're always working things out for our good, for those who are called according to your purpose. Father, might we open up our lives to, to allow our lives to be part of, of your great story. And so, Father, we trust you today. We trust you with the adventure that you are choosing for our lives. And Lord, may that bring great delight to your heart as we make that choice today to trust you. We thank you for this story. We thank you for this example. We know that it was written for us that we might learn and that we might know. And so, Father, thank you today. May your blessing be upon each one as, as we go out into this week, Father. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. <coughs>